Thank you for joining us on the Access Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Kurt Ames. This book was penned by a guy named Paul, Apostle Paul. It was the first epistle that he ever wrote, and he had to write this particular book to a group of people from this area called Galatia, which is in modern-day central Turkey. And so he wrote this to him because he went, you know, Jesus, Jesus uh, radically transformed Paul, saved him, and then he, he commanded him. He says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to preach the good news of the gospel of grace, my gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to preach that to people that are non-Jewish in all these different countries uh, around. So I want you to go in there. I want you to preach this and plant churches. So he started doing that, and one of the regions that he went to is Galatia. Well, he preached, people believed in this gospel of Jesus Christ, they believed in Jesus, and then after Paul left, there were these Jewish Christians that were Jewish, but they also believed in in Jesus Christ, and they came into this region of Galatia after Paul left, and they started telling the people in Galatia a different gospel. They started preaching a different gospel, and they were basically telling them, listen, no, 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 you believe in Jesus, that's good, we believe in Jesus too, but there's some other things that you need to do if you really wanna be in, in the club, essentially. If you really wanna call yourself a Christian, there's something else that you need to do, and the particular topic was, was circumcision. So that's kind of the context where we start. Now, he was writing to, he was basically passionately, and you're gonna see it as we go through this book, he was passionately defending the true gospel, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of grace. And we're gonna see it early on in the book, but he also, throughout this book, it's six chapters, throughout this book of Galatians, Paul teaches the Christians who are in Galatia how to live in heaven's freedom. And this is why I'm so excited about what's, what's gonna take place over the next month and a half to two months is because I wanna know more about how to live in the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for me. I don't know about you. So this is gonna be an amazing series, but we're gonna start in Galatians chapter one, verse one. I'm gonna be reading out of the Passion Translation. Uh, it says this. Paul starts out, Dear friends, my name is Paul, And I have been commissioned as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know that my apostolic authority was not granted to me by any council of men, for I was appointed by Jesus, the anointed one, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I am joined by all the Christians who are here with me as I write you this letter, which is to be distributed through the churches throughout the region of central Turkey. I pray over you. Now check this out. This is pretty important. I pray over you a release, and keep in mind that these are people that were being deceived by a false gospel, and this is what he says. I pray over you a release of the blessings of God's undeserved kindness and total well-being that flows from our Father God and from the Lord Jesus. Now, grace, this is interesting to me, that grace wasn't just a message that Paul was preaching. Grace, it was actually the way he chose to handle this particular situation in Galatia. He starts off by giving them grace and showing them kindness, speaking winsome words over the people who were confused by this other gospel. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it actually says that we, as followers of Christ, Christians, are to speak winsome words over others and people around us. Why do we want to speak winsome words over others? 
so that we can win some people over to Christ. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, 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 if we change the way we talk to people, instead of talking at people, we just bless them with kindness. We spoke some winsome, kind, loving, grace-filled words, especially against people that oppose us. Maybe things would change a little bit. And maybe they'd be opening, open to listening to us a little bit more. I don't know, just a thought. He goes on, he says, he's the anointed Messiah who offered his soul as the sacrifice for our sins. He's getting into the Jesus part, this is good. He has taken us out of this evil world system. Now stop right there. The evil world system actually includes any religious system that is based on duty and performance instead of grace and love. He's taken us out of this evil world system and set us free through our salvation just as God desired. All the glory goes to God alone throughout time and eternity. And we all together said, amen. amen. I am shocked. And now this is gonna be paramount. Verse six and seven is gonna be paramount for the message that I'm gonna teach on tonight. I am shocked over how quickly you have deserted the grace gospel and strayed away from Christ who called you to himself by loving mercy. I'm frankly astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel of salvation by works. This, friends, is the other gospel that was being preached. And he goes on in verse seven to say this. That is a fake gospel that is simply not true. There is only one gospel. How many of you know that? There is only one gospel, the grace gospel, yet you have allowed those who mingle law with Christ's grace to confuse you with lies. The title of my message tonight is this, Something Happened. Something Happened. Something Happened. Let's pray for a moment because I need to ask the Holy Spirit to help. Holy Spirit, would you help? God, just do whatever it is that you want to do in us tonight, God. I just pray that as I preach your word, Lord, it would do something inside of us to transform and change each of us, God. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, when my wife, Lindsay, and I were uh, engaged to be married, just like you, Jake, and you, Abby, uh, you're gonna have to go through some marriage counseling at some point, right? You're gonna have to kind of get into that, um, that process. And for us, I was about 26 years old when, uh, I wasn't about 26, I was 26, uh, when I got engaged to, to my bride, and she was born, raised, and schooled Catholic for 18 years. I was not raised in the church whatsoever, uh, and so it was an interesting um, process for us because what we had to do is we had to go through our marriage counseling through the Catholic Church. So we had to, you know, contact a church and say, hey, we want to get married at your church. And then what you got to do is you got to go in and you got to meet with the priest, Father, and then they, they give you this questionnaire. It's the same thing that happens here at our church. We give you a bunch of paperwork and you got to fill out these questionnaires. And so we sat down in the office with this particular priest. And uh, what I'm going to tell you, I, you know, I, I asked my wife it would, if it would be okay for me to share this story. I'm not sharing this story to... Uh, um, degrade or anything like that, any other denomination. So please, this is just a true story that I need to tell you about. Um, and I felt like it was okay for me to do that. So um, we sit down in this particular office with this priest. And, and so we get this questionnaire. 
and I open it up, and it was kind of like your basic questionnaire to start out, you know, and, and, and it was really easy at first, you know, it was questions like, what's your name? Yeah, I got that. What's your address? Cool. When were you born? What's your ethnicity? And I'm like, oh, sweet, this is going to be easy. And then I got to a question that absolutely stumped me, and it was a real straightforward question. It was, are you Catholic? And, 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 and I went like this. I, I, I'm, I'm on this questionnaire. I'm going through it. Yeah, 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 check. I looked over at my wife and said, baby, hey, am I Catholic? <laughs> and she looks at me and she goes, no, honey, I don't think so. And I said, and I, well, from my standpoint, though, my ex-girlfriend before my wife, she was Catholic, so I had been to Catholic mass more than any other religious institution leading up to that point in my life. So I figured, man, I've been to Catholic Mass more than anything. I should be like in the club, right? And so I said to the priest, I'm like, I think I'm Catholic. I don't know. I just didn't know much about religion. I didn't know much about religious systems or anything like that. And, and he looks back at me and he says, well, son, did you go to church when you were younger? I said, well, like four times, but I was at like, you know, a Methodist church. You know, I was a Christer, Christmas and Easter, you know, kind of Christian and and, 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 and I said, but that was it. And he says, well, is one of your parents Catholic? And I said, no. And he says, oh, son, you're not Catholic at all. And I said, oh, okay, sure, you know, took it kind of okay, you know. And then uh, he ends up saying, well, because you're not Catholic, you know, I'm going to have to tell you something. You, we're not going to be able to give you guys at your wedding, we're not going to be able to give you uh, a full mass, you're not going to be able to take communion, uh, things of that nature. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I literally said this. I said, so hold on a second. So you're telling me that my wife, whose parents spent tens of thousands of dollars to school her in a Catholic church to bring her up in that, in that faith, you're telling me that you're not going to allow my wife to have the wedding of her dreams, the wedding that she desires, because I'm not Catholic? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. He says, oh, no, no, that's exactly, that's just, yeah. So if you're willing to, you know, do this, this, and this, and conform and, and become Catholic, um, then I will, you know, then we can give you this full mass, and we, you guys can take the Eucharist and have communion and things. And, and, and I left there, and you know what? Let me tell you how it made me feel. It made me feel like I was unworthy. It made me feel like I was less than. It made me feel like I wasn't good enough, and because I wasn't good enough, my wife couldn't even get what she was longing for in this marriage. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I felt dejected and rejected a bit, and then we leave there, and I remember thinking to myself, and friends, just let me ask you something. Do you think that actually drew me closer to God? and closer to going to church, or do you think that made me say, because I was already, you know, up in the air about religion altogether and God and everything else, and after that happened, you know what I said to myself, and I said to my wife, I said, you know what, this is why I don't want anything to do with the church. This is why I don't want anything to do with religion. This is crazy. Am I not good enough? I can't even get into the club. And, you know, we started conversing about that, but I was literally at that point, I was like, nope, I'm, I, I don't want nothing, with, nothing to do with church. Well, obviously, friends, things have changed since then. Uh, and the funny thing is, the, the ironic thing is, is that I now get to do uh, marriage counseling. I get to marry couples, 
which is an absolute joy for me to do. I've married some people in this room, and it's, it's been absolutely amazing. And the funny thing is, is that even, even at this church, you know, there will be couples that uh, uh, want to get married, and then they'll tell the church, well, I don't want to have like a real churchy, traditional wedding. They'll go, oh, yeah, just give it to Pastor Kurt. He'll, you know, he'll do it. <laughs> I guess I'm like the not churchy guy, you know, or funerals even. I've done funerals where they're like, yeah, they don't want it real churchy. Pastor Kurt's the best at those, yeah. He'll, 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 do, a, he'll, do, a, he'll do a great job. I'm like, at first I was like, man, kind of, you know, offended, but I take that as a compliment a little bit nowadays. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm actually doing a wedding this month in October for a couple, and when I first sat down with them to uh, just discuss their situation, we sat down, and I started asking some questions, and this couple's about my age, and and asking them questions, this and that, and they said, well, the the groom began to speak, and he says, well, actually, I have a cousin who's a pastor in another specific denomination, and uh, so we went to my cousin and asked him to do the wedding and if he would do the premarital counseling for us. And I said, okay, well, what happened? He says, well, he found out that, you know, we were living together, so this couple's living together um, out of wedlock. And, and so once he found that out, he said, absolutely not. I'm, not, I'm not doing your wedding. And they also told me that he's probably not even gonna go to the wedding because of that. So completely rejected him, stiff-armed him, like, no, no, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for me to do your wedding. Friends, do you know what they said to me while I was sitting there? I'm just sitting there listening. And he says, and I said, well, do you guys lo- like love God? Or you, you guys believe in God? Do you love him? Yes, we do. We do. And yet, are they living, you know, right before they get married? No, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. But they love God. They said they believe in God, but they also said this. They said, yeah, we do. We, we, we believe in God, but we don't, we're, we're not real big on the church thing. I said, yeah, I get that. I understand that because I've experienced the same thing. Friends, how many of you know, and I handled that situation a little bit differently. I first apologized. I said, you know, I'm so sorry that that happened to you guys too. I'm very, very sorry that this happened, but I'll tell you what. I'm all in on doing your wedding. Because I'm absolutely okay with you guys, where, where you guys are at, and it's not my job to fix you, that's God's job. So I'm all in on doing this wedding. I just want you to know that I'm all in. But I will say something to you. I'll say, you know what, I, I do believe, though, that if you were to separate for a time, if, you know, maybe you, groom, or you, uh, 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 wifey, where to find like a family or a friend that you could maybe you know, bunk with for a little while up until you get married and, and not have sex up until that time, I believe God will honor that, but it's gonna be your choice. I'll still do your wedding, whatever you guys choose, because I always, always, always want to err on the side of grace and love and show them what the gospel is really like. I don't have to fix anybody, that's not my job. And by the way, we gotta stop trying to fix each other. You know what I'm saying? Dude, have you ever, dude and dudettes? I just said that, for real, it came out. But have you ever had somebody come to you and they're like, man, I'm just struggling right now. I don't know what's going on. I just, my walk with God isn't right, you know? And you know what sometimes my answer has been to people and I just hate it when I do this? But I've been in the church some time now, and I've gathered a little, you know, churchy, like, insider lingo that I just don't like. But sometimes it comes out of you, and you just want to, like, can I put that back in my mouth? You know what I'm saying? Where, man, I'm struggling. And the first thing that comes, well, have you been in the Word? 
sort of, but I don't understand how to read the Bible. Well, how much time do you pray? How much time do you spend in prayer? I don't know. I've never actually timed my prayers. Good point. I haven't either. You know what I'm saying? I heard of this pastor one time. He was a youth pastor. He said that to one of his students, like, hey, how much time you spend in prayer? He goes, I don't know. I've never, like, timed my prayers. And he's like, that is a valid point, young man. I don't think I've ever timed my prayers either. But we try to fix each other, don't we? Listen to me, friends. I am, <laughs> this is what happened with me and my wife. I got radically converted. I was born again, got saved, gave my life to Jesus Christ, said, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. That is, there's no question about it. I'm all in, Jesus, whatever you want me to do. And I, I literally started reading the Bible. I couldn't get enough of the Bible. I was going to church, and I was learning. I was writing down all these notes. about. I was just learning about what the Bible says. And then here's what I would do with my wife. I finally got her to come to church with me. We were coming to this church down in the main sanctuary. And here's what would happen. I would write all this stuff. I, would, I was gaining all this information, all this new knowledge. Things were, you know... Uh, my eyes were kind of opening to certain things in life, and uh, if you will, and, and we would get in the car and we'd take off. And by the time we'd hit the highway, I'd wait for the right moment, but we'd hit the highway and then I'd, I'd kind of do one of these. So did you hear what was said today? Because I didn't feel like my wife was passionately pursuing God as much as I was, and she wasn't reading the Bible as voraciously as I was, and, and things. And so I would always ask her, So, did you hear? You know, I'd try to combat her a little bit, like, Hey, so did you hear what was said today? Huh? Yeah, I think that was for you, not me. <laughs> Literally, I would do this, and I'm not proud of it, but I would do this, and guess what that did? I was trying to fix my wife. Do you know what happened? Nothing good. <laughs> Friends, all, it led to arguments. It led to tension in our marriage. It actually, drew, it, it actually put, uh, uh, put us further apart. There you are, baby. I've been looking all over for you, like, where's my wife? I need to see my wife. Where's my baby? Come sit up here, would you, please, so I can just see you and love you from afar. That's too far. Whatever, baby. Okay, I love you anyway. Isn't she amazing? Just smiling. Oh, I love your smile, though. So, but this is true, is it not? I'd do that, and then she would come back at me, and we would argue, and we would fuss, and we would fight, and we grew further apart than we did closer together because, friends, I came to the realization of something. I am not the Holy Spirit. And when I came to that realization, you know what I ended up saying? God, thank you for giving me a beautiful, amazing, awesome wife. But God, I can't fix her. And I realize that now. So, Lord, she is all yours. All I'm going to do is love her like she's actually my wife. I give her to you. And I just trust you, God, that you're going to reach her. You're going to speak to her. You're going to grow her. I can't do that. I cannot do that, Lord. I'm not equipped to do that. Only you are. So she's yours. And guess what? In that season, after that, that had taken place in my heart, and I just backed away, I saw so much growth in the both of us. And we started growing together, man. We started pursuing Jesus more and more and more and more together because I wasn't all up in her biz. Come on, somebody. Listen to me, I'm firing all of us tonight from trying to be the Holy Spirit, okay? You're all fired. Don't try to fix people. And by the way, have you ever tried to fix someone? How did that go for you? <laughs> it didn't go all that great, did it? Uh-huh. Yeah, because you've all done it. 
And if you're in a relationship, yeah, I ain't, I'm done. I don't, need to, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to say nothing else. I think I'm good. So here's, here's the deal, though. How many know Jesus hung around with some crazy cats? Jesus welcomed and accepted some people that were out of their mind. Anybody know that? Despised, vile, wicked people. He didn't seem to be real, real, real concerned about the way that they were living at the time. And yet he still invited them even into his inner circle. Come on. Did he not? Listen, error on the side of grace. This is, how you, this is what religious systems would tell you. Change and maybe you can join us. If you'll change, if you'll jump through enough hoops, you can join our club. But listen to me, that is not at all what Jesus Christ said. Here's what Jesus' system is. Follow me and you'll change. If you'll follow Jesus Christ and pursue him passionately, and that is the question, not, not how much Bible did I read this week, not how much prayer time did I spend in this week. It has nothing to do with your works, your good deeds, all those good things. No, throw those all aside. Listen, it is all about are you pursuing passionately Jesus Christ? And in your pursuit of Jesus Christ, he will change you. I promise you that. It is so stinking simple, yet we convolute it and complicate it so much. Change and maybe you'll join us. No, Jesus, follow me and I'll change you. So we must become a group of people who are gonna stop performing and start pursuing. There's no amount of performance that we can do for God to earn his grace, to earn his love, to earn his favor. It's all about just pursuing him. It's our relationship with him. Relate up before we relate out. Come on, somebody. Galatians 6 1 verse 6 says this again, I am shocked over how quickly you have deserted the grace gospel and strayed away from Christ who called you to himself by his loving mercy. I'm frankly astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel of salvation by works. That's a fake gospel. Anytime somebody tells you, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and you can be in the club at that point, it's a fake gospel. And by the way, that kind of stuff still gets preached today. If you just do a bunch of good works, if you do this and if you do that and where people actually get to tell you when you can follow Jesus Christ, what? That is insane talk. You can find that nowhere in scripture. Nowhere did Jesus have people come to him and wanna follow him and have Jesus say, no, can't, can't make it in. I about did the Heisman. You know there's a Heisman race going on right now? In college football, y'all know what the Heisman is? Somebody show me your hands. That's it for real? Man, you church people. <laughs> I love you, but the, the, listen, I'm gonna show you what the Heisman is, okay? Okay? Listen, you'll never see Jesus Christ doing the Heisman pose to anybody. Do you know what I'm saying? His pose would be, probably be something like this, you know, like, yeah, come on. And I'm a dad, and every time my kids get home, from school or at night when I get home later, I, I, you know, if I'm just standing there, if I'm sitting on the couch, here's what I do. Hey, come here. Come here. Come here. Come to daddy. I believe that's exactly what God does with us. Does he not? The story of the prodigal son. There's, matter of fact, he didn't even do this. He started running towards his son. God is running towards some people and they don't even know it. That's how good he is. But listen, there's two gospels being preached. He says, that's a fake gospel. Two gospels being 
preached to the church of Galatia. The first one is this, the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, which Paul preached. This is the gospel of grace. The second one was the gospel of salvation through rule following. This is the gospel of works. So the Jewish Christians that came in, they tainted it. They said, no, 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 here's what you need to do. This is kind of funny as well. This is what you need to do. If you really want to follow Jesus Christ, it takes more than just believing in him and saying, yes, I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. Here's what I need you to do. We want you to be circumcised as well. You need to follow the law of Moses and be circumcised if you want to be a church member. And it's hilarious because in Acts chapter 15, some of the early church leaders, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, they have this little conference together to discuss this issue, and they say, man, are we gonna really make people do that to to believe in Christ? And Peter speaks up. He's like, heck no, we couldn't even do that. We couldn't even follow the law. Are you kidding me? We lived amongst them, and then James says it this way. And by the way, could you imagine coming into church tonight and some of you are like, you know, you're ready to give your life to God and say, I'm all in, Jesus, whatever you want. I'll give you my life. And then afterwards I said, we're going to have a little get-together over in the chapel where we're going to do some surgery. And we're going to circus. You know what I mean? You dudes would be like, yeah. No, we'd have an all-female church, people. Would we not? If I would have showed up with my wife at a church like that and they said, yeah, yeah, so church membership, we're going to do surgery over here right after, I would have said, baby, the Bible says that, you know, when we get married, we're one. So I'm just going to let you go. I'll be out in the car listening to the ball game. You know what I'm saying? I would not want to do this. And thankfully, here's the conclusion that James came to. He says this, I've come to the conclusion that we must not make it difficult for anyone who does not know God to turn to God. I think that's a pretty good stinking answer. Friends, sometimes we make it real difficult for people to come to God, don't we? Sometimes the church does a really poor job of that. Jesus said everyone's welcome. Everybody gets to play on his team. There are no bench warmers. Do you understand me? Everybody gets to play. Follow him, you'll change. You know, but I can understand. So they come in preaching this gospel of works. You gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. They get confused. Paul even says it in verse seven. You've been confused by these lies. But I understand a little bit, as a pastor, understanding some of the scriptures, why they would get a little bit confused because here's what the Bible says about works and doing good works, doing works. Jesus even said something about it. In Matthew 5, 16, he says, you know, that we're, so, we're, we're to let our light so shine before others so that they will see our good works so that our Father in heaven will get all the glory. Jesus, his brother, so he's talking about good works, doing good works. Jesus, his brother James says it this way. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without works, without good works. So works are definitely, even biblically, supposed to be a part of our lives, but when they're preached out of order and when they're lived out of order, we actually can become temporarily out of order. And if you just take a moment, take a moment, take a moment, because here's the thing. Grace, faith, and works. Which one of those has first place in your life? 
Because let me tell you from, from, from you know, my personal standpoint, and, and, and I struggle, I don't know about you, I struggle with the order of things sometimes. Sometimes I get so caught up in doing ministry instead of just being a son. Instead of just receiving more grace. Instead of, and I get so busy caught up doing good things and want to preach a better sermon and want to do this and want to grow. I get so caught up in doing those things, but when I get caught up in doing those things, I'm out of order. And I'm going to show you what the divine order is because there is a divine order to how we do these things. And we're going to find out in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, what the divine order is. Here it is. For it is by... Grace, for it is by grace, for it is by grace, it is by grace. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm all about that grace. I'm going to turn that Megan Trainer song into I'm all about that grace, about that grace. No, you know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. No? Okay, I won't. But I think we could, Brent. I think you might be able to pull it off. I'm just saying, I'm all about that grace. It is by grace that you Listen, it is only by grace that you were saved. Do not get it twisted. There is nothing that you could do to earn it. It is only by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. There was nothing that you could do to earn it. There's nothing that I could do to earn it. There is nothing that we could bargain. We could not take bargaining chips and say, God, here it is, and have him give me grace. Have him give you grace. Nothing you could do to earn it. And by the way, it says it's, we are saved by grace. Don't get it twisted. That's the first thing. We're saved by grace through faith. But then it even goes on to say, and that, that too was a gift from God. Listen to me. When you experience God's transforming grace, faith will be a byproduct. You will believe when you experience his grace. I don't know about you, but when I experience the radical transforming grace of Jesus Christ, you know what I said to him. I'll follow you the rest of my life. I believe in you. I'll follow you all the days of my life. Faith was a byproduct of grace, and that too was a gift from God. You cannot muster up faith. Listen, if you can muster up your own faith, just go to a motivational conference. Go, go, go do one of those things and they'll tell you how amazing you are and how good you look. They'll put a mirror in front of your face and, and you'll leave there feeling cool for a minute. But without God's grace, it won't last. It will not last. You are saved by grace. And here's what happens, friends. When you actually see Jesus for who he is, for what he did, for what he has done and what he is doing. By the way, he accepted people as they were then. He's still accepting people as they are now. He is still saving people today. He is still setting people free and he is still saying, I don't care what you're struggling with. By the way, if you're struggling with something, friends, you're welcome here. Not only are you welcome here, you belong here. And this will always, always, always be a church that will be, that is founded in grace. As long as I'm here, the access is always going to major in grace and major in the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's all about him. It is nothing about us. The entire Bible from the Old Testament all the way, even the Old Testament is about Jesus 
It points to the one that we needed so badly. And then the New Testament as well. It's all about Jesus. But when you see him for who he is, for what he's done and what he continues to do today, all the acceptance, all the validation, all the affirmation, all of the things that he gives to the broken, the lost, the hurting, us included in that, the only right response is to say, yeah, I believe in you. When they see you transformed, a life that has been transformed, friends, family members, and they come up to you and they're like, what happened? You're like, it wasn't me. I didn't go to the self-help aisle in the bookstore. All I know is that I encountered grace and my response was, yes, Lord, I'm all yours. Verse 9 says this, not by works so that no one can boast. Listen, friends, I can't say it enough. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. And Paul is actually saying here, he's saying, listen, if it was something that you could actually do to get to salvation, then you could actually boast about it. You could actually take the credit for your own salvation. And friends, I know we are not stupid, but I'm just gonna remind us some stuff. We did not die on a cross. We can take absolutely no credit whatsoever for the transformation that is taking place in our lives. And by the way, you were transformed in an instant, became a new creation when you said yes to Jesus Christ, but there is still a process of salvation that takes a lifetime to get through. And by the way, the only thing that can get you through in this lifetime is grace. It's not works. You can't work yourself into being more transformed. Have you noticed that? The same thing and the same one that saved you is the same one that sustains you throughout your lifetime. You want to know how to grow spiritually? Grace. Paul said it this way, by the grace of God, I am who I am. God's grace is sufficient for you if you'll believe it. He says, not by works so that no one can boast. And then he finishes up and he talks about good works here. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When you experience God's grace, you believe. You say yes. And when you believe, you'll do some good things. Does this make sense? Grace? Yes, Jesus. You get saved. You get set free. And you believe and you put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus. And when you do that, the result is going to be you're going to do some really nice things for some people. You're going to start like baking cakes and cookies and like doing crazy stuff that you never did, taking them over to your neighbors. I mean, you're going to be doing cookouts, cooking ribs and stuff like that at your house and calling all the neighbors, let's party. Maybe that's just me. But the order, friends, the order is almost as important as the teaching here. He says it's by grace, through faith, you're saved for good works. And when we get those things out of order, we kind of get a little bit out of order. And then we kind of forget about God's grace a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we kind of leave, oh yeah, it's just by your grace that I'm... I'm transforming. It's by your grace that I'm growing. It's by your grace that I'm maturing, becoming more and more like you, Jesus. 
Now, I just want to say something about access in particular right now. We must always be a place where people of all, ethnic, all ethnicities, is that how you say it? Ethnicities, all backgrounds, all religions, all races, struggling with all sorts of things, that this is a place where people feel like they belong. No matter what they've been through, no matter what they're going through. Listen, if you're struggling with lust, you belong here. If you're struggling with trusting God, if you don't even know what you think about Jesus yet, you still belong here, friends. We're still friends. If you're struggling with pornography, you belong here. If you're struggling with anything, friends, if you're struggling with homosexuality, homosexual tendencies, friends, we need to become a people who are okay with other people that are struggling with something. You know what I'm saying? Because you're struggling with something too. I'm struggling with something. And we still need to be okay. No matter who it is, you belong here. And let me tell you something about every single one of Jesus' disciples. They belonged. If you think about it, they belonged. They felt a belonging in Jesus' group before they ever even believed. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Are we good? So let's make this place a place where everybody feels welcome. Matter of fact... I had a, um, a young lady uh, last year that I befriended, uh, was coming here to Access, and um, she hadn't been to Access for, for quite some time. Uh, and it was probably three months or so. She showed up one evening, and after I got done speaking the message, I came off the, the stage, and she was the first person that I saw, and she came up and, and gave her a hug and said, oh, my goodness, I haven't seen you in quite some time. You know, what's been going on? Is everything okay? And she immediately got super excited and says, oh, my gosh, yeah, just can't, I couldn't wait to tell you I got engaged. And I said, oh, my goodness, congratulations. That is amazing. A lot has taken place since the last time I saw you. She said, yeah. And then she says, yeah, it's to, a, to another woman. And I said, oh, and it caught me off guard, friends. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, okay. But it didn't shake me to the core. It didn't, it didn't really bother me too much. And I said, okay, that's cool. And then this just came out of my mouth. I want you to invite your fiance to come. And she looked at me and she went, huh? Are you serious? I said, absolutely. When you leave here, I want you to go tell your fiance that she's welcome here. And it blew her mind. And I, and I said, honey, why don't you take a look around the room? And it was after the service, so everybody, you know, was all standing up, and they're in the back, they're in the cafe. And I said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn around and look around this room. I said, you see everybody in this room? They're all struggling with something. Every single one of them. Now listen to me. You're always going to be welcome here. You and your fiance, you'll always be welcome here. And I hope you feel that way. It is not my job to fix you. That's God's job. But every single one of us in this room, every single one of us, me included, is struggling with something right now that God wants to heal. You're no different. So here's what I promise you. I'm going to continue to preach the word of God, and you're going to be confronted in certain areas. But it is not my job to fix you. I trust God to do that.
And here's the thing that Jesus said, friends. He says, if you love me, if you love me, and talk about divine order here, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Listen, you will not obey his commands if you do not love him. Does that make sense? There are broken people just like you and I coming from all sorts of different backgrounds that are very, very interested in the person of Jesus because he is amazing. And we need to do everything in our power, like James says, to not make it difficult for them to come to know God too. Amen? Amen? Amen. We're going to finish up here. But it goes grace, faith, then good works. Just don't ever forget that. Very important. But we're going to see how this played out in Paul's life in closing here. This is going to be starting in verse 13. Paul's about to tell us a little bit about his background and then what happened. Here we go. By now you've heard stories of how severely I harassed and persecuted Christians. Paul was a thug before. He was a religious thug, and he was systematically trying to take out the church of God. He was persecuting people. He was hurting people. He actually murdered somebody, okay? He was a murderer, and he was religious. So it says, I persecuted Christians and did my best to systematically destroy God's church, all because of my radical devotion to preserve the traditions of my Jewish religion. Catch these next words. My zeal and passion for the doctrines. My zeal and passion for the doctrines. Anybody met somebody who, who really had more zeal and more passion for doctrine in the Bible than they do the person of Jesus Christ? That's exactly what Paul said he was doing. He said, this was me. Memorize the first five books of the Bible. By the way, all that information, all that religion, all that information turned him into a murderer of people who are following Jesus. Just saying. He says, my zeal and passion for the doctrines of Judaism distinguished me among my people for I was far more advanced in my religious instruction than others my age. Then this is the key verse. But then something happened. Then something happened. And I love the very next word, God. Then something happened, God. By the way, every single one of you in this room tonight I don't know where you were before God, but then something happened. Something happened, and I'll tell you who it was. God intervened, and you said, yes, Jesus, I'm in. You might have been religious, and then all of a sudden you got encountered by grace, by his love, and you said, yep, I'm done with that. You might have been, you know, like me, doing some crazy, stupid, stupid, stupid. Why am I dancing while I do that? That's <laughs> dumb stuff, stupid, twisted Oh, disgusting. And then all of a sudden, something happened. Something happened. Maybe you were like me. You were thinking about committing suicide. But then something happened. Maybe you wanted out somehow. But then something happened. Grace. You believed in the gospel of grace. You believed in Jesus Christ. You said yes to him and something happened. And he goes on and says this. God called me by his Oh, that was pathetic. God called me by his grace. grace. Jeez, people, come on. And in love, he chose me from my birth to be his. God's grace unveiled his son in me so that I would proclaim the message of sonship to the non-Jewish people of the world. Look what happened. It was grace first. Then he said, yes, I believe. 
And then it was good works. And the good works was he started preaching and proclaiming the very thing he was trying to thwart. Amazing. Paul's, and if you can read that again, something happened. God called me by his grace and in love he chose me from his birth to be his. God's grace unveiled his son in me so that I would proclaim the message. Do you see what ends up happening? I was this way, but now all of a sudden it was doctrine, 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 religion, religion, religion. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about grace, God, Jesus was now the central focus of his message, but more importantly, was the centerpiece and the center, central focus of his life. And he started preaching Jesus everywhere he went. He finishes up this, this way in verse 20. It says, everything that I'm describing to you, I confess before God is the absolute truth. After my stay in Jerusalem, I went to Syria and Southeast Turkey, but remained unknown to the Jewish believers in Judea. The only thing that they heard about me, these are the disciples he's talking about, the only thing they heard about me was this, our former enemy who was once brutally persecuting us is now preaching the good news of the faith that he once obsessed, he was once obsessed with destroying because of the transformation that took place in my life. They praised God even more because of the transformation that took place in Paul's life. He began proclaiming the gospel of grace and the believers, the disciples in Judea started praising God all more. But listen to me, the transformation that took place in, in Paul's life is no different than the transformation that takes place in our lives. It is all because of grace. And by the way, in Ephesians 2, verse eight, where it said, it is by grace that you're saved, that word grace in that scripture actually means power. And get this, the Bible talks a little bit about that. It says, I am not, Paul said it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of grace. For it is the power of God that leads to salvation the power of God that leads to salvation. Listen, the same thing and the same one, the same grace that transformed you, that saved you, is the same one. It's the same grace. It's the same person. It's Jesus Christ. He's the same one that will sustain you in this lifetime. And it is all about his grace. All about his grace. Let's bow our heads and close. Grace actually represents the power of God to change. Grace is what changes people. Grace is what transforms people. Paul even said it himself. This is why the order of grace, faith, and good works is so important. We hope you enjoyed the message from Kurt Ains this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at AccessRLC, and be sure to swing out Thursday nights at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Resurrection Life Church. Thank you.